Good morning, everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Recently, we have examined a proverb that tells us that gracious words are a tree of life. You might recall that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the world. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Revelation chapter 20, we have the effects of the fall. It is not until Revelation 21 and 22, the last two books in the Bible, that we are reintroduced to the tree of life. But Proverbs tells us that a well-placed word is a tree of life. That same life-giving property that the tree of life has, our words have the potential to bring life, to bring encouragement, to bring comfort to those around us. We observe that the opposite is also true, that our words have the tremendous potential to tear other people down. That old little ditty that many of us grew up with, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me, is about the stupidest thing anyone has ever said because we know it is not true. So I'd like to begin this morning with a little mental exercise that a professor does in his, in his class at the beginning of every semester when he has a new group of students. So just indulge me for a couple minutes here. There's no prank or nothing funny is going to happen. I just want you to work with me for a moment. I want you to survey your surroundings. Look around this entire, we call this the NPR, the multi-purpose room. Look around the NPR and I want you to observe or list mentally seven items that are green. Just look all around you. This is a big room. But don't count them out because, I mean, you can't let other people hear. This is like, you know, um, seven items. That are green. Have you guys had enough time to kind of look around? Seven items? All right, so now I need you just to close your eyes for just a little bit. Like I said, no pranks, no, no water guns will come out. You've locked into your memory seven items that are green. Seven items that are green. Your eyes are closed now. now I want you to tell me five items that begin with the letter M. Don't open your eyes. No illustration is perfect. You can open your eyes. No illustration is, is perfect. But what the professor found was that his students would get pretty frustrated because they were focusing. They actually had to write it down with their eyes closed. But they were focusing, in what I did, on things that are green. And if you're like me, you're kind of struggling to remember <laughs> those seven things in your mind. 
And then he says, well, now I want you to tell me something completely different. It's frustrating because you're giving your attention, in this case, to those things which are green. And then all of a sudden, you got to do something totally different without looking and think of five things that are, in this case, begin with the letter M. Here's why I am adapting his little beginning of the year shenanigans. It is so possible for us to be focused on certain elements of our life. In fact, we can become so focused, understandably, that we almost become obsessed with them. And by the way, I picked the letter M because I literally am surrounded by music stands, mic stands, mics. Like there's a lot right around me that begins with the letter M. But you know what happens because we're human, because we're people? We lose sight of things that are right before us. As focused as you might have been on the items that are green, the truth is the items that begin with the letter M are equally true and equally present. But you may not be as aware of them because your focus lies elsewhere. Friends, the very same thing is true for us. That when we have challenges, when we have burdens, when we have trials, when we have difficulties, when someone really annoys us, we can become focused on certain things and those elements of our life, true as they are, do not make up the totality of who we are. And we have the opportunity, as we'll see, as fellow believers in Christ, to remind one another of what is equally true in our lives. For the purpose of encouraging and uplifting and comforting one another. Our scripture this morning is Proverbs chapter 12. And it's verse 25. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 25 reads this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But, in contrast, a good word makes him glad. Depending on the translation you use, you might have anxiety, you might have burden. There are things, the idea here is there is someone who is downcast. It's not as if they're just having a bad day. They are weighed down by life, by what they are experiencing, by what they wish perhaps they were not experiencing in the moment. And the reason why I'm returning to this matter of our words and the potential that we have to breathe life into those around us is this. Don't read this verse merely as, well, saying something nice. 
It's true. We can just say something nice. We can pat someone on the back. We can tell them he looks real handsome today. All these things. We can tell them things that have nothing to do with what they're dealing with. And those surface level comments tend to fall right to the ground. Because you know it's true. If you're in that position and you are really, you are really just trying to put one step in front, one foot in front of the other today. And someone just says something clownish like, you know, I don't know. Smile, it's going to be all right. You're going to be fine. Right? That doesn't help. There are nice and thoughtful things that unbelievers can say to one another or even to you. And we acknowledge those. And those thoughtful, well-placed words can be helpful. But saints, here's what I want to put before you today. You and I, followers of Christ, we have the opportunity... To lift one another's spirit. To lift our gaze. To lift our head that is hung low. As life takes its toll on you and me. The scripture describes our salvation as a living hope. It pulsates. There's life. And we need one another to focus each other on that which is enduring, on that which is true of us, even if we are focused over here, there's another reality in the gospel that is true about us, even when, and especially when, we don't feel it. So Caleb read for us, yet again, Ephesians chapter 4. We've touched on this recently as well. This will give us a little guideline here. So we're starting in Proverbs 12, but we're giving practical application of how we can flesh this out. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The purpose of the sanctification of your tongue is that we are no longer to participate in the empty dribble that the world engages in. No coarse joking, no careless jokes. That's gone. We don't want that to be a part of our lives anymore. But he says, in contrast, only such as is good for building up, that is to edify, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. So what is the apostle directing us to? He is directing us to be thoughtful in our consideration when we engage someone, particularly one who is discouraged, who is weighed down by life's problems, understandably so, to give thought as to what to say in the moment. But that word edify, you cannot give a surface level Smiley little cliche that will do nothing for the person in front of you who is carrying burdens in the moment. It is the Christian's privilege for us to edify, to build one another up. As the New Testament says over and over and over and over again, remember what Christ has done for you. 
Remember who you are in Christ. Go back to those basic and beautiful and glorious realities that are true of you because of your union with Christ, because you belong to Christ. To build others up, we have to have content. So this morning we're going to consider a a few words. Let's consider the term glory. We're going to do this through the book of Romans. So you might want to make your way to the book of Romans. We'll mix it with the remarkable status that we enjoy as believers in Christ, having been adopted into God's family. So what I'm attempting to do here for us is to give us a general perspective of what Scripture tells us that is true about us so we can encourage one another. There are certainly times where you know someone's particular situation and you can help them in that moment, but these are general things that we don't want to lose sight of. Because you are like me, we can become obsessed with what is right in front of us and we're robbed of our joy. We live deflated. It's human. That's what happens. Which is why scripture always says, go back to what is true. Reflect on what is true. Study what is true. Remember what is true. Meditate on God's truth. So we begin in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which is a good Awana verse. It's foundational. Up until this point, the first two, three chapters in the book of Romans, Paul has literally hauled everyone, every single person, into the court of God. And he will declare them guilty. The Jew along with the Gentile. That was a radical concept for his Jewish readers. His statement is plain. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy. God is perfect. And you, by the way, are not. And you know it. That is the bad news that precedes the good news within the good news of the gospel. And while the Jews might think that they have a leg up on these awful Gentiles, he corrected their misguided thinking and demonstrated in this verse and the surrounding area that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, please note the precision of God's word. Fall short of the glory of God is not in the past tense. It's actually the reality that we live in. We fall short of God of God's moral protection, his, his moral perfection, excuse me, his beauty, his righteousness. But the heart of the gospel, ultimately, is that God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. We call that sanctification. And ultimately, we will stand in his presence. In his presence, glorified. We will be completely conformed to the image of Christ. 
And God will not fail on his promise to accomplish this. But now let's look at how these truths could and should be the topic of our conversations with those who are anxious and burdened by life's circumstances, where life just feels crushing. You see, Paul faced the same with the Roman Christians, and he addressed it head on. He told them in Romans chapter 5 that we reign with Christ now in life through our union with him. He would go on to say that sin shall not have mastery over us. Imagine that. Do you feel that every day? But as Paul begins to drop these gospel truths to the believers in Rome, when he comes to chapter 8, he makes a beautiful declaration. Verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our status. We can stop beating ourselves up for our failures because Christ took our stripes himself. He tells us in Romans 8, verses 14, 15, he tells us that we are adopted into the family of God, which is amazing. He had in mind the Roman system of adoption, which was different than the Old Testament or the Jewish method of adoption. And also, particularly when it came to inheritance. Roman law stipulated that an adopted child enjoyed full rights alongside his or her siblings. Furthermore, the Jewish system was such that the firstborn son received a greater inheritance than those after him. Not so in Roman law. Every child is on equal footing and equally receives the inheritance. This is extremely important for reasons we'll look at in just a moment. Remember, how can I give gospel encouragement to those around me? Paul tells us, verse 16, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is not just head knowledge. But the Spirit is ministering this blessed and beautiful truth to us that we belong to Him. That we indeed are forgiven. That we indeed will never stand in condemnation before Him. One of my favorite verses follows and it's verse 17. He gives a logical progression. He tells us that if we are the children of God, then we are the heirs of God. God is the one who gives us our inheritance. There's no difference between us. Each child of God gets the inheritance. God is the giver of our inheritance, and we each get it. Beloved, if you think that salvation is a matter of having your sins forgiven and going to heaven, you are correct. 
But there's so much more. It is beautiful. It is mind-blowing what God has done for us in Christ. Our inheritance as Christians is so often underrepresented in our understanding today. I would like in the future to address this in more detail. But my friends, you may feel this morning that the world is crushing in on you. But take heart. You are forgiven. You are adopted by God himself. You belong. And you are his. You are a child of God. We are sons and daughters of the most high. But oh, there's more. To understand what he is saying with those statements, he does not merely say that we are forgiven and slipped in the back door. Let's just get Colin in there. So while no one's looking, here he is. I know he's a part of it too. Paul says we have an inheritance from God. But oh, there's more. The jaw-dropping statement is what comes next. He says we are co-heirs with Christ. Let that sink in. The Bible tells us that Christ will inherit all things. Hebrews 1, 2. That's no surprise. He is, after all, the creator and the sustainer of all things who humbled himself to live among us and then die for us. But watch what the word of God says. We are co-heirs with him. Remember the Roman adoption law? All children receive equally the inheritance. We are God's children. Hebrews 2.11, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. What he inherits, we inherit in the kingdom. My hope is that this extraordinary privilege we have as children of the Most High will shift our focus and our attention to how God blesses us so immensely. Now, here's why I'm addressing this within this context. With all the wonderful truths that Paul gave to the Roman church, he had to address the profound suffering that they were enduring. It's not as if the Roman emperor was proud of his little Christian contingent. Paul had to address head on the suffering that they were enduring. Well, I thought your gospel was going to help me. I thought God would be with me. Why am I suffering? It is true that at that time there was a lot of suffering to go around. But for the Christian, there was something even more. The state opposed you. You lost at times your possessions, your job, and sometimes even your life. 
talk about downcast. Watch how Paul addresses this. It's in verse 18. The very next verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing that to the glory that is to be revealed in us. I have to leave my treatment of this kind of right there. The verse does speak for itself. He says, in this world where we face opposition, where we face hardships, where we face heartache, and we face difficulty, he says, do not lose sight of your inheritance. Do not lose sight of what you have been called to. Jesus never said that life would be easy. Many tribulations and many trials. Every last apostle said the exact same thing. Life is not about health and wealth and happiness and all of those nice things that some people promise you after you give to their ministry. Their ministry. The simple answer that Paul gives for someone who is burdened down with a difficult life is to help us put our current suffering into perspective. And that's where hope and joy begin to well up. Remember, we all fall short of God's glory. Here we are given glory that is beyond our ability to even describe. Jesus gets his glory by right. We get it by grace. Jesus receives his glory John 17, Jesus receives his glory by right. It's his. We receive glory and are glorified by grace. It's the beauty of the gospel. Christian, do you see what is ahead? It is not pie in the sky to meditate on the glories to come. It is your inheritance. John said, as many as received him, chapter 1, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. Do you know your birthright? Do you know your inheritance? It is right here before you in the pages of the New Testament. But because we're human, we tend to get sidetracked and we get fixated on other things. And as we do, we get weighed down. This is how Paul addressed their suffering. If you care, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is not all about Paul. Peter, as you know, was no stranger to suffering. We love Peter because Peter put his foot in his mouth on more than one occasion. We probably find him Highly relatable. But Peter in due time would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He would become a mouthpiece of God for the gospel. 
And history tells us that he would die an awful death for the sake of the gospel. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Here are Peter's gentle words to suffering Christians. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. These are Peter's words to suffering Christians. Lift up your head. Look at how the gospel saturates This one statement, verse 10. After you've suffered for a little while, you know that suffering never feels like a little while while you are suffering. So Peter says, allow me to shine the light of the gospel on your present circumstance. It's a little while. Because eternity is a whole lot longer than your finite life here. While we talk about the benefits of the gospel, it is always all about grace. The God of all grace. He is the one who called you into His eternal glory. That is the sum and the substance of the gospel of Christ. It's why it is good news. He has called you into that which is beautiful and enduring, which we don't deserve, but it's all of grace. And now it's ours. He will not delegate The next part to somebody else. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Saints, let us encourage one another with these soaring truths. Let us not stay at the surface level and tell one another you'll be fine. Because you're not going to be fine. That's just the truth. My friends, we are adopted. We need to move quickly. Another one that is a often recurring theme. God is for you. God is for you. He is never against you. At this moment, we're just going to read the rest of Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against, really, who can be against us? You got God on your side. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, it is God who declared you not guilty. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Jesus actually took your place. 
He suffered for you. More than that, he is raised, who is at the right hand of God, given a name that is above every name. And he, look at this, he intercedes for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When will we ever be separated from God's enormous, unconditional, beautiful love? Tribulation. Let's just name. Let's just just start going down the list. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, he's talking about the plight of believers. For your sake, we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Like that's what it looks like, and that's actually what early Christians experienced. Nah, nice try. He says. As my little rendition. Nice try, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because I am in Christ. I will never be outside of Christ. Now, tomorrow, or forever. Period. End of discussion. The God of all grace. Verse 38. You can feel it coming. For I am sure, I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. That's everything. Everything. Or, depending on how you look at it, nothing. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the faith that is yours. He is the God of all grace. He called you to himself. He will not let you go. And you will be completely and finally one day conformed to the image of his precious son. You will see in the rearview mirror, maybe just for a moment, every temptation, every grief, every heartache, every hardship, every disease. They will not be with you. They do not convey to your new residence. Saints, I cannot downplay the difficulties that we face. And it is up to us to know one another well enough to speak thoughtfully into our situations. But these are broad brushes that we can all use. I want to give you one more briefly. You are never alone. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like no one cares. You might feel like you're the one that, well, something went wrong. Like it's true about every other Christian, but it's not true about me. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We had a wonderful time yesterday. It was nice to have a strong turnout, a full house at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. Talking about discipleship. It was good after a few years to be together around some, I'll just Say it, some guy grub. I mean, it was just a good time, right? But what we discussed was discipleship. This is Jesus' parting shot with us. We know this, the Great Commission. 
as we go about the business that, that the Lord has given us, making disciples who in turn make disciples. Watch what Jesus says, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, there were many who were doubting, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Like That was a startling statement, remember. These are Jews. <laughs> like, what? Including the Gentiles in on this? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that today for five people. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And here's what I want you to see. Behold. Look. Listen. I am with you always. I am with you always. As the scripture says elsewhere, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. One more verse, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And then we'll land the plane. Romans chapter 12. You'll notice the verse that I've given you in Ephesians and also in Romans as I mentioned many times, there's a structure to these letters, to these New Testament epistles. It's usually a whole lot of doctrine, a whole lot of theology. This is what's true about you. And then he'll spend some chapters on the backside saying, well, here's what you do with that. Here's how you live according to this truth. Here's how you live because this is true of you. Right? So Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. This is the spirit, if you will. This is the climate. This is the culture that we should have within our church, within any church, within the body of Christ, within fellow believers. Love one another. Do it well. Be intentional. Inconvenience yourself. Be thoughtful about how to engage others, particularly when they need you. And if you like competition, well, here's your opportunity. Outdo the other person in helping this person over here. Like, just make it your ambition to love one another, to love other people well. And in particular, with our words. Our words can tear down. Our words can frustrate. Our words can be just awful. Or they can be life-giving. We are now children of light. We should live accordingly. So that what comes out of our mouth helps and builds up and comforts those around us. Remember to use the gospel when encouraging one another. It is our consolation. It is our hope. It is our inheritance. Would you uh, pray with me, please? Perhaps just take a moment. To ponder and consider... All that God has done for you. To consider what is ahead.
This is not just static head knowledge, but this is a living hope that pulsates. And we have the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to minister this hope to one another. To teach and to admonish one another. To build one another up. Anxiety and burdens and grief and heartache and tribulations and trials of various kinds will weigh someone down. Be that person who breathes life, who gives encouragement, who helps that person on the other end to be comforted, not just in their particular situation, which you can do because you know them, but also to speak life to them, the gospel to them. I've referenced the gospel many times this morning, the good news of Jesus Christ. As we said, it begins with bad news, which is just rather plain and obvious. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God loves people. He sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. When we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe that he died on the cross for a purpose and that purpose was my sins. That he took his sins upon himself. That he became sin for my sake. Was buried and rose again. When our confidence, our faith is on him and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Minus any good attempts on our end to earn God's favor. The Bible says when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved. If you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us, which is exquisite. It is unfailing. It truly is undeserved. Thank you. Thank you. It is not just a platitude that we say with a fake smile on our face. But we know that we are known and loved by you. We know that you, by sending your son, that he came into time and space and lived like us and lived among us and then died for us. A bloody mess on a cruel Roman cross. Thank you. Because all of that was love. This is love. God commends his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Lord, give us insight and understanding and anticipation to our inheritance. What is ahead? All of grace. Yes, give us wisdom to address the problems that are right before us. 
But help us to balance all of this with an eternal perspective, knowing that you have saved us from something, from our sin, from the penalty and the power of sin, and you have saved us to glory. Our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Revive, refresh us, encourage us. Help us to lift one another's head. To know that we are loved by you. That you are never against us. That shame and guilt are no longer a part of our vocabulary as it pertains to us and you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.